Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. We are in a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a Wonder Tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Welcome to Thor Ragnarok Part 2. This week, we're going to talk about how compassion is a vision for people. There's so many times when we can get so caught up in a vision being physical, it being things, it being an organization, being you know a graph up and to the right. But what Thor learns over the course of this movie is that compassion is really all about the people, and it's about how they can develop. So for us on Wonder Tour, trying to become and develop magnanimous leaders, that's a lesson we need to learn as well. Thor has his hammer stripped from him by Hela. He has his world stripped from him. He, he basically has his power stripped from him, and he has to make a comeback despite that. And he has to learn that he can't defeat Hela on his own. Thor learns that Asgard is not a place, it's a people. And we believe that as leaders, we want to take on that same mindset. Here we go. All right, welcome back to Wonder Tour, episode 55 today. Drew, your intro really got me thinking about how a podcast is about the people, not the place. <laughs> so that's Wonder Tour for us. That's a It's a place that we go. It's something that we do. And it's really about that, that action, that development. So I won't pontificate anymore on that. However, we're going to go into Thor Ragnarok part two here and talk about how compassion is a vision for people. And we have Brian again, who is someone who I could definitely say, and I'm going to embarrass him a little bit, but he has a vision for people. hundred percent. Brian, jump back in again. Too kind. No, I, I love um, in this movie. One of the things I love is that Thor's is a very single axis character. You know, when we first meet him and even, you know, the role that he plays in the Avengers, he's like one of the big, strong, powerful ones. And he tends to want to solve problems that way. And he tends to only realize that that's the way to solve problems. And so we see him, there's a really great sequence between him and Bruce Banner as he's coming out of being the Hulk and realizing that he's been the Hulk for two years and might can't risk going back again they have this great interchange where thor is like but i need the big strong guy to help me with my problem because really that's the only thing that would help right i'm going to go fight a battle so all i need is more big strong people and that's a classic leadership failing right overvalue overvaluing your own skill set or only valuing the one dimension that you recognize and what we see thor learning is something that many of us struggle to learn is that diverse teams are actually more powerful is that you can find value in people outside of the skill set that you yourself possess or respect that's a really neat element of this movie where he's not he really just doesn't know what to do with bruce banner and his six phds is like okay great what are those good for can you fly a spaceship with them well i think in sports we there's an analogy here where we like to think that our team we want our team to have the strongest fastest people on it right and we're like if we just had more strong fast guys on the patriots then <laughs> we would be better and as a fan of the new england patriots i've learned over the years that sometimes i get frustrated by the moves that the organization makes there's a you know a specific one you can go back to where they cut lawyer malloy who was at the time probably if not the best safety in the league and he went and signed with the rival Bills. And they did it because, as 
the you know one of the great coaches of all time Belichick would say it was about the team and not about having the best individuals and that is a lesson that we all have to, we really all have to learn over and over again it seems at least I do because I can get really fixated on well for our team I just want to have the strongest individual contributors and while that can help in a if you have a diverse team it's a really big challenge doing data analytics if you have a bunch of people who have all of the very similar skill sets in data analytics you can have the best people in the world but you might not create the best products for the customers and and i think we see that here right is thor is and even at the end still he he doesn't fully learn the lesson he's still highly valuing strength over all of the other skills well, compassion is a risk. When you engage in this vision for people, you are inherently, whether you whether you realize it or not, you're starting to take risks because you are setting a vision. I would say as a magnanimous leader, you you take into context everything about that person first, right? You see where they're at and then you have assessed capability in some way and you have to do that in a reasonable way. But if you can do that, right, and then you give them that freedom to develop their wisdom bar, right, there's a little bit of a risk there because you don't know if they're going to turn into a hella or if they're going to actually develop as a person and as a leader and and not necessarily turn all that, right? You, you've got to keep the freedom and the wisdom bars kind of in Maybe I think with with kids, it's like if freedom and the wisdom bar have to grow. The wisdom has to grow a little bit faster than freedom. <laughs> right. Those are some things that have come up here as we've been talking is that a leader is is going to be taking a risk with compassion, getting that redirection, giving a little bit of freedom for that development. And, and with that vision, right, inherently comes some possible instability that you have to deal with. Right. Oh, that's great. And I think I totally agree because the. Leadership is not a one-time thing. The vision is not a one-time thing. These are both evolving, hands-on, interactive processes where you're developing your wisdom of what can I do with these people, with the skills, then the wisdom and the freedom I can give them today, where could they go, but also what could they, what could they grow into right, individually and what could we do it's some balance of trying to mold them in a direction that you yourself see and give them enough freedom that they develop unexpected talents and you can use those. And so exactly as Drew said, like recognizing that there are other skill sets besides writing Python code <laughs> and empowering people to use those skill sets to make the team better. If you've got somebody who's really, really good at designing interfaces or communicating the results of a product development or interfacing with users and understanding their needs. Like those are all important skills. And you may have somebody that's got those skills already and you need to empower them and, you know, raise them up and respect them for it. Or you may not have somebody that has those skills and you need to see, can you get somebody to emerge, to embrace them and to develop them? Cause that's what the team needs. But if you're all sort of in it together and you all have compassion for each other and for the vision, you can sort of navigate your way towards or through these conversations. Well, I just had one question for Drew here, which was when you have this vision, is there, and we could talk about this later and maybe close it up at the end there, but when you have someone early on in the vision, the environment around them, you typically try to like shape that environment around them. And then is the goal to get them to more of an environmentless type operation as a leader? Is that part of the vision where you kind of get away from controlling so much? I'm just kind of curious. I think that there's an interesting relationship to freedom there as we keep yeah. going. 
Yeah, I think we do want to try to get towards that's the ultimate goal, but it really does happen in stages. So I want to unpack real quick a little bit more of compassion as a vision for people, because this might not be intuitive. You're like, uh, I thought compassion was an action that I took. Isn't that what we talked about over the last five episodes? That (laughs) compassion is all about doing something for the good of somebody else without expecting anything in return. We've called it sitting down next to somebody on the curb and crying with them. We've we've come up with a number of different models for it. And now we're saying it's a vision for people. Well, I think we can start with what, if we say compassion is a vision for people, what it's not. It's not a vision for things, and it's not a vision for places and things like that, right? Compassion is a vision for people means when we set out our vision of how things could operate, what the ideal state is for how things could work, we are less focused on having a thing or money or being in a certain place or having anything tangible at all, and are more focused on the character of people. And if that is the case, now compassion becomes the vessel that helps us to achieve that vision of character development. Because as we've talked about with wisdom and freedom, ooh, it is tough to get people to develop character. You cannot force anyone to develop good character. That is a choice that they make on their own. And so compassion is one of the tools that we have that allows us to help people develop good character. And it is not transactional at all because there is not a direct relationship between the inputs in terms of how much compassion you give to somebody and the outputs in terms of how much character they develop. It can be exhausting. (laughs) Brian, thoughts? I'd like to tie that, yeah, that vision for people. I want to bounce back a little bit to what you said about the environment, that I I might argue that there is, that building a supportive environment or putting people in a situation where they are able to exercise their freedom and their wisdom and their skills is absolutely one of the things you can aspire to as a leader. But you are doing that because of your compassion for the people, right? It's not because the environment is right and they have to conform to it. It's that the environment should be designed to support and provide, you know, structure so that they can succeed. So it's, mm-hmm. I don't want to say the environment is unimportant or you don't want an environment. All of these characters are clearly struggling at the beginning of the movie because they've lost their environments, because they've lost their support structure, because they've lost the things that they can count on. And that's really hard for anyone. So recognizing when that's happened and being able to put something in place that they can rely on is absolutely valuable. But it's exactly as you've said so eloquently, it's not because it's about the place. It's not, you know, Asgard is not the place, it's the people. And you can build Asgard again as long as you're building it for those people. I think, yeah, that was a good correction to say that it is about creating, it's not about the environment, but we can create an environment. As I tend to say, we're going for a garden, right? (laughs) Your definition of the garden and my definition of the garden might not be the exact same, but the ideal state of beauty and collaboration and sustainability and all these things intertwined together, that's the ideal state. And in a way, when you zoom out in Asgard and look at it, it's kind of a garden, right? It's got this, this beautiful, picturesque city with greenery kind of growing over it with waterfalls coming off the edges of it with the rainbow bridge and the bifrost and stuff like that right it's this garden state and what thor is recognizing over the course of this movie is that in order to have the garden state in people's minds and be able to recreate the garden state the only way to do that is to give up the current one we have to give up this one that we're so we've been so fixated on protecting for so long in order to achieve the garden mindset and and the garden i don't know what the i'm losing 
mixing my wording here a little bit. Yeah, the environment is needed early on when someone doesn't know how to handle freedom. They don't have the wisdom bar. And so I, I, I totally agree with you, Brian. And that, and that's why we build dojos, right? We talked in previous episodes about dojos and dojos are lovingly created for the person that is going to train there. You know, when you get into the real world, there's a dojo and it's more of like a general thing and anybody could walk in, right? Anybody could walk in and practice there. But a compassionate dojo really is one, an environment that is specifically created by a magnanimous leader for that particular person's vision, right? That the vision that the magnanimous leader sees. And if we have enough of these shared values of magnanimous leader, it's funny because you could probably spot a magnanimous leader out in the wild. And I think this is kind of fun, interesting thought exercise here is you can spot a magnanimous leader out in the wild and you can see them lovingly creating a dojo and you kind of just like give the head nod and you keep walking, right? You know what's going on. It's just like when Jedis encounter each other, et cetera, and maybe you overhear a conversation and he's like, reach out with your feelings and like, <laughs> oh, man, I know that moment. That's when you've got the little the little spinning orb trying to shoot you and you <laughs> right. And you start to recognize some of the familiar concepts and the familiarity of that early stage. And I think we've all been there where we've kind of seen a leader early on and you're like, wow, he's just got a lot of potential, but he really needs a dojo. He really needs an Asgard to give him that comfort level. And then, you know what? We're going to bring in Ragnarok and destroy it at some point because he needs that. That's what he needs next. Right, guys? That's awesome. I want to, uh, I'm going to try to tie those two metaphors together then because we talked about this a little bit after the uh, after the Batman episode. I think after audio is what is off was the the gardener analogy of the hero, right? That you, you know, when Batman's focused on vengeance, he's not an effective hero. And one of the... One of the analogies we used was gardening was that you can't you can't create a garden. You can't cultivate a garden by only pulling weeds. At some point, you have to plant something. So I love your dojo analogy. That's the planting seeds. That's the taking your taking your your young, delicate little plants and nurturing them until they are parts of the garden, until they grow into whatever it is they're meant to grow into. And so you have to have both of those elements where you you do have to pull weeds. But you also have to have a vision for the garden and you also have to nurture things as they come up. And so I'm wondering if you guys can pull this together with our with our conversation about people, not a place is the macro statement in this movie. And then at the at the micro personal level, we have Thor's challenge of you're not the god of hammers, you're the god of thunder. Right. It's, it's an internal attribute and not the thing that you're holding. So so what do you guys have for that? How do you how do you see those things relate to these concepts? I like it. We're taking magnanimous leadership. It, again, we always focus on others and then it but it routes through self because that's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into all that here. That's self-determining freedom and things like that. So if Thor needs to become the God of Thunder, again, classic. This is like mapped directly to a hero's journey, right? Sometimes it's like a 70 percent. This is like a 99 percent map to a hero's journey. He has to become the God of Thunder. So he has to stop becoming the God of Hammers. It's not that he's it's not that he's not going to use the hammer in the future, right? He, he's going to, but he's not that can't define him anymore. And so he has to take this thing, this viewpoint on himself, how he sees himself because he always sees himself you know, with the flowing hair and the hammer in his hand. And he has none of those things now. <laughs> so he has to take that and he has to find a new way to see himself first. And once he sees himself that way, which, of course, again, this 
I, I love it. Some cinephiles might be like, this is a little bit over the top in terms of mapping on to every other story ever. But he literally loses his eye, right? So in order to be able to see, he has to lose his eye. And then once he loses his eye, now he can see himself for who he truly is. And he can see Asgard and Ragnarok for what it truly is. And he realizes that this isn't about him. This is about the other people who are going to solve this problem. He li- the only thing he needs to do is protect the people and other people will, will, will step in and use their abilities to solve the problem. He doesn't have the ability to finish her. I want to I want to capture something before we drift away from it, because the Wonder Tour drifts in a direction. <laughs> Drew, you said he needed to have compassion on himself, essentially. And I think it's really important that we make sure we capture that, that it's not only having a vision for other people, but it's having a vision for yourself. That is one of the hardest things to do truthfully, honestly, authentically, humbly. <laughs> I think that's about the best word I can come up with because a vision for yourself typically is not humble and it tends to struggle in that in that dimension. However, you've got to give yourself some loving, tough love sometimes, but at the same time, have some grace for yourself too, right? Realizing that if you don't make that achievement or that goal, whatever, you've got to keep going. Now, I don't want to get distracted with that. However, I do want to bring that in because it's important as you go through the tough love on yourself of compassion. And maybe that's like self-denial, right? Self-control. These are things that a magnanimous leader has to have, right? Because that creates the space to be able to have vision for other people. If you're always worried about yourself, then you can't be in the business of making vision for other people. Can you? No, absolutely not. And and you're right. You have to take care of yourself. You have to engage with people from uh, from a place where you yourself are healthy and you yourself are have enough energy reserves, right? If you keep putting yourself out there to the point where you don't have the energy to really help them, your interactions are not going to be skillful with them either. So that's I think that's a really good point. And I think that's kind of discovering and discovering and trusting yourself and your own limits is is one of, is part of this story is that Thor has to go through discovering that he doesn't need to be holding the hammer to prove that he's worthy. He's looking for that external validation and he loses it early on. Exactly as Drew said, he kind of has to realize that it's, you know, it comes from within. Literally, it's a, it's a little <laughs> on the nose for the hero's journey, but he literally discovers the power was in him the whole time. Yeah, I can give a personal example on how that works out sometimes and how you have compassion on yourself. I mean, I, Derek, you've mentioned before, I tend to give everything (laughs) and into the things that I do. And when I do that, especially with work and, you know, all the activities that stack before and after work in my day, I can end up completely drained after about 10 hours in a day, just absolutely drained because I don't really give myself too many breaks I try to give myself a couple short mental breaks, but that's not how I work best. I work best with like just bang, 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 knocking things out, putting everything into it, just focus tunnel visioning to some extent for that day, not in total, but for that day on what needs to get done and just knocking stuff out, working with people. And as a result, my brain will just be mush sometimes. And I've had to start to have compassion on myself that, you know what, my abilities at 6 p.m. on a Friday are not going to be what they were at 9 a.m. on a Monday. And so I even, for example, this week, right, I was in a meeting early in the morning and I said something really dumb. It wasn't like I said something offensive to somebody, really, but I said something really dumb in front of a bunch of people. 
And I was like, oh, man, like my brain is already mush. But you have to give yourself some compassion and just realize, like, sit down next to yourself, you know, theoretically and be like, yeah, you've been through a lot. Like, that's not to say that you give yourself a pass for, for screwing up. Like, yeah, you have to also grow. But sometimes you just recognize when your power sapped and it's time to I still have to finish the job today. I still have to be there to support people, but I'm going to have to find a different way to do that. And I'm going to have to rely on other people instead of just myself to get through this day. Yeah. And sometimes that's the compassionate thing to do, right? It's just to just to be very honest with the people around you. Like, I've, I've just discovered a limit in myself. Can anybody pick this ball up and carry it a little bit farther forward? Like. That's literally what I had to say. Yeah. That's that's what I had to say. It wasn't an excuse in the meeting. I just told everybody, I was like, yeah, my brain is like, our, it's just been a long week and I'm probably not going to be the same person I was on Monday. So I'm probably going to need other people to help me. So thank you for helping me through this. <laughs> I think that builds the, it really builds out the vision that we have. We can take our weakness and actually turn that into an opportunity to have compassion on other people because we are showing them that we have limits. And as we show them we have limits, they start to self-reflect that they have limits. And I think that's important. That's an important thing to be vulnerable. And that starts to sound trite because everybody's like, oh, vulnerability, vulnerability. <laughs> These days on the leadership circles, right? But seriously, the mechanisms of that, and I think this is where it's unique and this is where it's important as far as, far as a, a wonder tour a wonder to our interest point, right, is what can it do for another person? Because many times we hear out there in the ethos that, well, you just need to be this as a leader. Yeah. For what reason? For what reason should I do that? How should I use my weaknesses? Should I just use my weaknesses for my own gain? Or should I use my weaknesses to then be a teaching point as I'm going down for the day, <laughs> crashing and burning at the end of Friday or whatever, as you said, Drew, I'm going to use that weakness on the way down as a teaching point to say, there's an organic growth limit. <laughs> and and I've hit mine. So I will slip now into a rest cycle. And as I slip into a rest cycle, remember, everyone, that eventually you will be in a rest cycle. That's compassion, right? That you show that through your limits and people can see that. And then you almost you can start the compassion cycle in them, can't you? And isn't that how this works? Yeah, absolutely. And the the wisdom part of that is when you start to see it coming and say, all right, you know, how can I set this up so that somebody else can step up before I hit the wall, right? What what emerging leaders, what emerging experts do we have? How can I put somebody else in a position to have this leadership experience? Like, I'm going to be completely fried or I don't have time to run that meeting. If somebody else runs that meeting, you may find out that they're amazing at it. You may find out that they really appreciate an opportunity for leadership or an opportunity to participate in something that they wouldn't otherwise get invited to. So the less you make it all about you, the more you find that you don't actually have to do it all yourself. And as you're taking us down to the to the sand granule level of running a meeting, I think it's time to bring in the classic sand pile metaphor, right? It's magnanimous leadership and being a hero. Really, we, we kind of put those things together. It's not about defeating Hela. It's not about defeating the Riddler. It's about moving the sand pile. And that is the hardest part to get because it plays against the most base human instinct for pride, to want to be the one who takes credit for things, to want to be the one who defeats the big bad. That's not what magnanimous leadership is. It's about doing the small stuff all along. It's about encouraging Valkyrie to take on her, you know, to, to take on her demons. It's about 
learning, you know, again, even if you don't get it right the first time that, hey, we got to leave Banner out of this because only by allowing Banner to to do his own thing, do we get this great moment with Banner when he drops off the little spaceship onto the bridge and takes down the wolf, right? It's like you can see it in his eyes that he's like, dang it, I shouldn't really have to do this. I I don't owe anything to these people. They're not my people, but I have a vision for flourishing. And that looks like me moving the sand pile. And right now I have to move my piece of the sand pile. So even though it's going to be painful, and even though I might not be able to get back out of the Hulk, you see it like wash over his face and he drops out and he's like, he just gives in, right? He's, he's, it's like a moment of sacrifice and then he drops off and you're like, that's like one of the greatest moments in the entire movie. The audience is all clapping on opening night. You're like, yes, yes. Finally in giving up control, he gets control. It's like, that's the only way that you get control. It's the only good type of control to have <laughs> is when you're willing to give it up. Then he has control of the Hulk. It's the essence of the how compassion can transform, transform others through what you have given up. And then they see that and reflect on it. And then also, as you give up that that thing that you think that is your thing, when you give that up and you try to operate without it, then suddenly you start to see yourself transform because you've finally given it a chance. Right. You've dropped your biases, whatever it may have been that was holding you back. Oh, this is how I got to handle it. I got to walk in the room and I take my hammer and throw it around and make myself look lightning, lightning. <laughs> Right, as Thor would do. I'm gonna all this always scares them, right? So and I think that's what's really good about the very beginning of the movie where we see that quintessential Thor and we are brought to contrast that. So there's a big, huge chasm drop off there for a reason. So that when we are at the lowest of the lows, and then he gets through this and he can bring it back above even where he was at the beginning. And I think that that's truly the journey we're brought through here. And that really gives us a good lesson. Yep. And he starts the movie heroic but by himself right he's just often he's just off fixing problems with the hammer right and he ends up the movie heroic in a group having supported and saved many of them but also having brought many of them on board to his vision through his compassion and through his willingness for self-sacrifice and for his willingness to depend on himself then he sort of naturally attracts Banner willing to be the Hulk and Valkyrie willing to buy back into the vision and even Scourge willing to like finally step up and do the right thing. Like all these characters, even Loki comes back and is like, well, you know, I, I, he's still my brother and I'm still going to help him out. Like all of these characters have bought into Thor because he's sort of relentless in pursuit of the vision, but he's figured out how to make the vision not about himself. Yes. And you see the difference between when his hammer breaks and Odin dies and he's devastated. And there's no he can mourn. He should mourn Odin's passing. Right. And maybe even it's okay in some ways to mourn the loss of a hammer. But when he loses his eye, the only thing that you see is his other eye like finally focuses. Right. It's like he's not there's no mourning the loss of his eye. He's actually pretty happy about it. He realizes this is my defining moment and it's not about me because I lose my ability in this moment i'm not technically as good anymore i'm tainted but now we can finally win and i think that as a leader is critical to understand that there are going to be those defining moments where you we have to give we have to give something up and with nothing in return and that is that compassionate moment and it changes people and the hardest thing to talk about is how 
you can't do it so that people view you better. If you're doing it for that reason, you won't be able to make the right decisions. But if you're strictly doing it because you have a vision for people and and we want them to be better than we are ourselves, now you can have that moment where somebody takes your eye and you're smiling. And I've seen that as the mark of some of the greatest leaders, whether you're reading an autobiography or doing whatever, where they talk about how they realized through significant loss and sacrifice in their life that instead of those being the lowest moments of their lives, that those become some of the highest moments of their lives when they're able to give something up. I think we're going to leave it right there. It's been great discussion today on compassion and how we can set out what people can become. It's not necessarily to say that we can control that. You can't control what somebody becomes, but you can certainly influence it as a magnanimous leader. Do your best to have that compassionate vision for others and lovingly construct those dojos and places to environments to operate in with the express goal of ultimately transcending that and realizing that you don't need a place specifically to be a leader, that you can be a leader wherever you're at and whatever ground you stand on, whether that's Asgard or wherever you are, you can be that leader. Next time, we're going to be jumping into the Obi-Wan series because we have been waiting for this one for a long time. (laughs) I've honestly been waiting for this series since Star Wars 1 came out because, I mean, I guess I just didn't get enough of the Alec Guinness Obi-Wan. And it's nice to see that blend, the more mature Obi-Wan, enter the scene. So I'm excited for that. We're going to do a couple parts on that one. And we'll just leave it at that. Remember, character is destiny. We'll see you next time.